Uh, we are in the series uh, we call the Daniel series, and Pastor Enns has been preaching uh, all this month about the Daniel series. Um, it's about, um, you know, how do we keep our faith, or how do we keep our faith strong in a society that we live in without being really nasty or rude or obnoxious, uh, but really love well with the faith that we carry. But the Daniel series is about a nation of Israel that was taken captive by the Babylonian um, people, and they were coming into Babylon. So that means uh, Israel was quite a religious and a godly nation, but they came into a nation or into a place that was not as godly. It was a pagan society. And so you can imagine what it would have been like for people like that being pulled out in, from their culture into a culture that is so foreign. Geographically, it is foreign. Everything looks different. But also the culture is so different. And obviously the food will be different or anything like that. That will be really, really hard. And how do you keep your faith? Because there are lots of people who carry deep faith. How do you keep your faith in the midst of it? with all what you're facing. And so we've been, um, obviously, Daniel has been, um, been doing that in a minute. But culture is so complex and so comprehensive. If you have come to New Zealand from a, from a different nation or a different people group, you will know how, uh, you know, even though New Zealand is pretty good, it is not easy to get your head around the New Zealand culture. Uh, we had to get used to it because the peanut butter didn't taste the same as we. It was just different. It was, and our children then said, no, it is not the same, not like it, not the same. Uh, because it was not the same. And most likely, your family got a culture of its own. And in saying that, you, you're doing things that is that you've always been doing with traditions and stuff like that, that goes with your family. Um, and you probably eat food that, you know, that recipes have been passed on from generation to generation. And that is the food that you eat in your family to celebrate or, or any, other, any other thing. You have foods. If you hang around long enough with Yalta and myself, um, then you will find out that we sometimes speak a language that you don't know and you don't even know that we are talking about you. Um, because our first language is Frisian, and so now our children have all left our home. Uh, we refer back to our Frisian language, and so we speak a lot of Frisian. And if you are just um, having a meal here and there with us, then you'll find out that our food can be sometimes a bit different. Um, that you, hmm, sauerkraut, oh, do you eat it like that, for example? And so your family got your culture. Our church has got a culture of its own. Our nation's got a culture. And so here is the, the I'm calling David and his friends and obviously all his nations, they came to a foreign land with a foreign culture. And so how do you make yourselves known in that? And so it was a challenge because uh, David and his friends obviously were good looking and had lots of potential. And so they were coming into the palace courts and they had to eat all these beautiful foods. I mean, beautiful. But 
the people from Israel are not used to that kind of food. They are very particular about the food. They want to eat a kosher food and prepare it in a kosher way. So Daniel and his friends decided they are not going to eat that food. They are going to stick with what they know and what they know that is right for them. And obviously there was a bit of an uproar about that because why would you not eat all that beautiful, delicious food? But in the end of the, that time frame, Daniel and his friends just looked just as well, maybe even looked more healthier and more smarter than all the others. So that was the first thing. And then um, if you want to know about that diet, just Google the Daniel diet and then you'll, you'll get there. And then, obviously, um, the king had a dream, and nobody could, could even tell what the dream was or even how to interpret the dream. And that's where Daniel comes on the scene. And he knows what the dream was. Well, he knows. God knows what the dream is. came from God. And so he got this revelation from God, and he interpreted the dream. And obviously, he got honored for that, and all coach. Then the king of Babylon, Nebuchadnezzar, had this bright idea that, you know, he wanted to have a, a huge statue, not a small one, but a huge statue of gold. And whenever people uh, heard some kind of music or things like that, people all had to bow down to this golden image. But Daniel and his friends, and there could be other people, but we talked about Daniel. Daniel and his friends decided they are not going to bow down to that image. The only God that they bow down is the God of Abram, Jacob. And so, obviously, that got noticed by the king, and uh, they got punished. And the real punishment was that they were going to put in a fire. And so we know that story that they, he and his friends were put into this enormous hot fire, and even uh, the guards who, who should have protected them, they got burned and they got killed. But Daniel and his friends, and they had an extra in there, because God came into that fire. And they were not burnt. They didn't even have a smell of burning clothing or skin. And that showed how miraculously God saved them. And even if we walk, we walk through the fire. That's what in Isaiah you can read it. We shall not be burnt because God is with us. And so here we come uh, in Daniel, uh, obviously in the second dream in a minute. So what is our response to a society that has a different culture than us? Um, you know, some people think, no, I really need to stand for God. Um, everybody is against me anyway. Uh, well, I'm going to hell and you, uh, I'm going to heaven and you go to hell. So, <clears throat> That's very extreme, but some people are. But other people are like that, well, you know, it's okay. And, oh, sorry. Uh, it's okay. Um, no, I can compromise here and there. And so that is not good either. Because it's, God wants us to stay firm in our faith, but still love well. So, uh, Enns talked about a while ago, and I'm just going to mention it. He talked about we either see the culture or reflect the culture. You are either going to be a thermostat 
or you're going to be a thermometer. And the thermometer tells you what the temperature is. But a thermostat sets the temperature. And it is something for us in there. I know you set the culture at your home, aren't you? You do, as parents we do. I know straight away when my kids come home and I know straight away what they're going to do. The first thing they look, in the fridge. As always, in the fridge, where is the cheese? Where is this? Where is the, the gherkins, the onions, the pickled onions? Is it all there still as usual? Because that goes with us. But it's a different story when we go outside our home. I mean, even set the culture in our church. Pastor Ains and poor are our senior pastor, and so they set the culture. And they want to be everybody be welcomed at church, as we heard a minute ago, regardless what the government tells us. So, but what did Jesus say? We just need to go back to the Bible. What did Jesus say? And Jesus had a prayer, which was in John 17, verse 15 and 16. And he says, my prayer, let's pray for us too. My prayer is that it's not that you not take them out of the world, not. At times, you know, I've heard it many times lately. Oh, God, just come quickly. Come, Lord, make an end. Come, we need you. Come, because I want to get out of this world because it's so different. But that is not what God had in mind for us. He did not want us to take it out of the world. Jesus was in the world. He was, and he wants us to be in the world. But he do ask us that he, but that you will be protected from the evil one. And you know that verse from, do not conform to the pattern of this world, which means the culture of this world. And I know we are all in it, we're working and we're living and we're shopping and all of that, but our values and the way we go about things is different. And that's why our faith needs to be strong. So it is a challenge to be in it and not being part of it. And sometimes it's really difficult to navigate through that. Maybe you have experienced since late how difficult it is and how difficult it can be when we go in the traffic light business. But if we have looked at the Babylon thing, if we took it at that nation where the Israels were, there is also a mentality. It's the Babylon mentality. And I call it, it is a spirit. A spirit that we can read in the, in the second chapter of Genesis when the serpent came on the scene and tried to, to trick Eve or make it sound that, really, that God really said it and, and wanted to sow doubt in her life. And so she got confused. Did, did he say that? And Satan elevating the people but not elevating God. And you know what happened in the garden. They did just that. 
They ate apple, and that had huge consequences when sin came into the world. But it didn't stop there. If we look at Genesis 11, there were obviously lots of people at, in, on the earth at that time. And, but they said, come and let us build for ourselves. Not for God or anything, but for ourselves. Because, you know, we are important. A city with a tower that reaches to the heavens, you know. It's all about us. And make a name for ourselves. It's that same spirit. And you know how God dealt with that, didn't he? He brought confusion. There was the Tower of Babel, which is, means confusion. And God brought confusion and scattered all the people because they all were speaking a different language. And if I start to speak now in Frisian, uh, you probably think, what on earth is she saying? I won't. But God confused it. Babel means confusion. It's a way of thinking that produces confusion. And what it really does, it's not following God's way, but following your own way or some ideology. But the real thing that is, you get confused of who you are. And you get confused about your identity. And we see a huge onslaught death right now all over the world that people don't know who they are. Even if they are born like a boy or a girl, they still, there's a confusion over that. And that's what that spirit does. It's rampant all over the world. And if you read in Isaiah, it's, it comes up again. The spirit is right through, presents himself through the Bible. And one of the things is, uh, their wisdom is misleading, their knowledge is misleading, and, and they say to themselves, I am, and there is no one beside me. So it's all about me. So this is what the culture looks like. So what does it mean for us for, for today or for tomorrow or when you go to work? And you find that, that there's a lot of self-centeredness. There is a lot of um, self-indulgence. It is all, um, I am the most important person. It's all about me. And it shows up in a variety of different ways. I say, it says, it elevates only you or me. It elevates. It also self-adoring. And obviously, that always has been there, this, this feature of this, this spirit. But when the, <clears throat> the smartphones came on, uh, and first of all, a few people had a smartphone, and you know, and then obviously the smartphones got a lot, lot better, and the cameras, man, you really didn't need a real camera anymore because the camera on the cell phones were doing the job perfectly. And what did we see? Do you remember? 
Selfish. Selfie. Hello. Selfie. I'm eating. I'm eating. KFC. Oh, look. Eating. And look at me. I got a new, new top. Look at me what I'm doing. Uh, look at me what I'm thinking and saying. It's true. It came on the scene. It was just like a wave. And maybe we all have been recipients of it. Or maybe we all have been part of it. I'm saying, you to me sometimes do a selfie. You know, we are out and about and we're sending to our kids, you know, we are by the river, by the Kettle River. Beautiful day. But some, they get so self-absorbed and look at me. Look at me, what I'm doing, what I'm thinking, what I'm feeling, and all of that. And that is that spirit. It's just rampant all over the world. I'll leave it at that. You know what I'm saying, isn't it? You get the message? Yeah, we all get the message. So here we come in chapter 4, uh, where King Nebuchadnezzar, the only one who brought them to Babylon, he's a wicked, he's ungodly, he's a pagan king. But in the midst of it, I find it so interesting that God is pursuing him. Although he took all those people, kept us, uh, from Israel, one way or another, God is getting to him. First, he receives a dream, and you know, I believe it was a godly dream. And he gets an interpretation from a godly young man. Then he sees this miracle in the fire and sees that those four people, and plus one, did not get burned. There was a miracle. A miracle. And it didn't stop there because he got another dream. And I believe, you know, God is in the business of pursuing people because it is his dream and it's his heart that no one should perish. And so he will do anything to draw attention to himself and say, hey, I'm here, I'm loving you, I've got a plan for you. And so it is with this, this king. I don't know if you are a dreamer. Have you got any dreamers in our midst? No? Yes, I am. I'm one of the dreamers. And uh, yeah, I do get dreams. And I've, I've learned from Nebuchadnezzar. I have. Because Nebuchadnezzar, if he didn't know what a dream meant, you can't ask people, the right people, and I've done that many times in my life with the dreams that I have received from God. Maybe one day I can share about that. But you need to go to somebody else if you've got a dream that you think that has meaning and has purpose to your life. You know, I know a man who said, I have a dream. If anybody knows who that man was. Martin Luther King. Martin Luther King. I had a dream. And he was a Baptist minister. I'm sure this dream came from God for racism to come an end to in the United States. I have a dream. You know, dreaming is free. We all can dream. Maybe you've got pizza dreams at night. You know, they don't mean anything, but it's just like rubbish. Or maybe you have a dream, you carry something. You know, dreaming is free. We can dream up. 
But when you receive a dream that is from God, that it's a different story, then we have to take attention. I'll just get where I need to be. And so here in Daniel 4, Nebuchadnezzar, Nezer, he was at home uh, in his palace. He was quite contented and, you know, he was very pleased with himself. He was prosperous. And, and look what I've done and look what he admired himself, that he's done a good job and all of that. And then he had a dream again. And in that dream, a big old tree, luscious and fruitful, was over the entire nation. And the tree was cut down, and all but the stump and the roots. And he wakes up the next day, and he calls all his musicians and, you know, all those people. But they had not had a clue. Maybe they did, but they didn't have a clue really what it really meant. And so that's when David comes on the scene again. Again. Oh, Daniel. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Daniel comes on the scene again. And then, and he, this is what he says. And I admire him because he had such great courage, you know, be in the presence of the king. That could mean anything. If you say something wrong, you, something terrible could happen. And he said, your majesty, you are the tree. And you will be driven away from people and will live with the wild animals. You will eat grass like an ox and be drenched with the dew of heaven. Literally, he was talking about it, that Nebuchadnezzar would lose his mind and he would go insane. I have never seen anything like it myself. We, Yalta and me had been working in psychiatric hospitals. We've never seen anything like that. That was just out of this world. It was from God. And seven times will pass for, for you until you acknowledge that the Most High is sovereign over all the kingdoms of the earth. And then comes the holy but. I call it, you know, we've got lots of buts, but but God, but this, but that. But there are, in the Bible, there are some holy buts. And this I call a holy but. Even for Nebuchadnezzar, a holy but that has hope and it has a future. The command is to leave the stump of the tree with his roots. And that is just phenomenal. That is amazing. I don't know where you are spiritual or where you have been. Or if you've got family members or people that you know who were so full on for God and something cut them in the race and they are far away from God and you think, oh, well, the, how, how can they come back to God? But there is a stump and there is a root. There is still a something in them. And God is more than able to bring that tree alive again. He is. That there's such a hope for, for, for people that we know in our family, people that we come in contact with, and you think, well, they are so far removed. How on earth will that be able to be possible? But it is possible. It says, you know, by grace, 
we've been saved, yes? And no matter where we've been or what we've done, God's grace is able to cover it all. And so it was for Nebuchadnezzar. And it would also mean that his kingdom would be restored when he acknowledged God and was reaching out to heaven. And you think, well, you take it to heart. It's not, that's, that's, that's what you think. But he didn't. He obviously, yeah, thank you so much. Thank you, thank you, thank you, Daniel. Thank you, bless you, bye. And he didn't do anything with it. But as it happens, it says, to the king of Nebuchadnezzar, 12 months, he had a, a time frame of 12 months to consider if he would acknowledge God and reach his hand to heaven. 12 months. And the king was walking on the roof of the royal palace of Babylon. And he said, is this not great, this Babylon? I have built it. I have with my mighty power and the glory and the majesty, all, you know, full of pride, full of self. And the words were not even still. When a voice came from heaven, because when God speaks, he honors his word. This is what decreed for you, King Nebuchadnezzar, and your royal authority. You will be banished from your people. You will be living with, with the wild animals. You will eat grass and all of that until you are acknowledged me, and I will restore everything back to you. And that's what exactly happened to him. Seven times, I think it was seven years or whatever, but seven times went by. Imagine living like that. At the end of the time, it says, I, Nebuchadnezzar, I mean, he probably learned a lot in those times and come to his senses, just like the lost son, you know, who thought he could make a better life from his dad, took all the possessions with him and had a great life, and, and then he ended up in a pig cell. And then he remembered his father, and he came to his senses, and so did Nebuchadnezzar. I raised my eyes towards heaven, and my sanity was restored. That's what God does. God is in the business of restoration. When we acknowledge him, Lift his name above our name. Name above all names. God brings restoration. The first thing he does, he removes confusion straight away. Straight away he tells you that you are loved by him. You belong to him. You've got a plan. You've got a hope. You've got a future. Not only for today, tomorrow, but for eternity. And that is exactly what happened to Nebuchadnezzar. And at the time, he said, my sanity was restored. My honor and splendor were returned to me and the glory of the kingdom. And everything befed, fell into place for him because he, it was not he couldn't have riches. It was not he couldn't have splendor. 
but he had it acknowledged that it was from God. It is God's in the end. So, some of his story just applies to our story because sometimes we are away from God and you think, oh, Lord, can I ever come back? What does this mean? But it is a, a message of hope because God likes to restore, God likes to replenish, God wants to bring hope, God, not only for today but for the future. So, what does that mean for you and me? How can we live in this world uh, which is so different than uh, for us as followers? That we're still in the world, but we're not of the world. I think there are three things. First, we have to exalt God. I will, and I choose to exalt God. Not just for one day, but maybe you have to do that many times a day. I choose God. I exalt Him. I believe He's got a way. I know that God's thoughts are so much higher than my thoughts. You honor Him at home with your family. You honor Him when you go to work. You know, people should know that you are a believer of Christ by the way you do things, the way you talk, and the way you speak hope and love to others. You know, there is a lot of exalting in our stadiums, and especially when the All Blacks are playing. So much exalting. We're all dressed in black, the black T-shirts, the flags. We're jumping, we're cheering, and, you know, we usually watch it on TV, and I, I, can, I can get into it. I'm jumping up, and I said to Yalta always, is this life or is this delayed? And then Yalta said, it's uh, life. I said, okay, I'm praying. <laughs> If it's late, you know, you don't have to pray for something that's already happened. Sometimes I'm praying, Lord, help, help them. If you know the Dutch people, the Dutch are not black, but they are in orange. And we got one day a year that we call the King's Day. That means our king, uh, Alexander, uh, it's his birthday, and the whole, it's a day off, just like Queen's birthday, and we have the King's Day, and everyone gets dressed in orange. Flags and, oh, you name it, outfits and dresses and whole, it's just, it's good for commercial, because everybody needs to have something orange, hats and everything, and they have party. If you see the Dutch in the sport, either on uh, Olympic or anything, you can spot them because they are the orange. They all wear orange because that represents the house of orange that it belongs to our king. But come on Sunday, <clears throat> it's quite a different story, I find. You know, we are a little bit more subdued and we're not as cheering for the king of kings because, you know, it might be a bit over the top. Or people call us, we are a bit fanatic, or, you know. But we have every reason to, to cheer for our king, the king of all kings, the name above all names. Sometimes we are a bit too quiet, I think. And even when we are together, we should jump and cheer. And, you know, I'm, I'm talking to myself too, okay? Because sometimes I don't feel like jumping at all. But that is what it means, exalt. And societies got it down to a fine art. We also need to acknowledge and choose God. 
You know, choose him. Choose him every day. I choose to trust him, what Yalta said. I choose to trust him in this. I just choose that his word is true. And I choose to believe that his word is active and that his ways are so much higher than my way. I choose to. It is not I will, but we need to choose every time and every day to choose for God. I will follow his way. I, I'm not quite sure to do to so I'll wait. I'll ask the Lord. I choose God. You know, I was just thinking, here I'm standing on this platform. Me, a girl from a faraway country, from an unknown little wee town you wouldn't even know about. And so, how did that happen? And you must ask yourself how you have ended up your life. How did it happen? And you know, we are forever grateful, Yalta and myself and our family, that we are residents here in New Zealand, that God chose us. He chose us. He loved us first. And that is, uh, we acknowledge that, that God had a plan. I wasn't even aware of his plan, but God had a plan to give me a hope and a future. It's not like I got it all together. Ask Yalta, or ask my children, or ask some people in church, and they will tell you. But I'm not afraid of that, that I haven't got it all together. I'm quite easy to admit, I haven't got it all together. I've got my down days. I've got my, my stresses. I've got my worries. I have. I'm not perfect at all. But I've got a God who is perfect who is just, who is wise, who is loving, who is full of mercy and full of grace. You know, my favorite line is, God help me. That is my favorite line. God help me. Really this morning, I said, please God help me to put it in the right in the words at the right time. And God help me, help me. Give me, a, help me with your anointing. Even sitting here, I think, Lord, help me this time. Again, help me, Lord. Acknowledge that you can't live without God. There's an old song, and it says, I need thee every hour. You know, some of you might know that song. I, and that's what it is. We need him every hour or every moment to acknowledge that you need him, that you want him, and to humble yourself. Our lives are in him. It's not that I have achieved so much, that God has given me the privilege to do so many things. And I'm forever, ever, ever grateful. My verse. That's what holds me is this. It's from Acts 20, verse 24. It says, I consider my life worth nothing. My only aim is to finish the race and complete everything what God calls me to do. The task of testifying of his grace, that's mine. So humble yourself. 
before the Lord, and he will lift you up. Even if you have stuffed up, Lord, I did it again. Please forgive me. You know, we need to have a short account with our God. And he never leaves you down. He always leaves you up. I always think of Jesus when he was doing his greatest contest of ever being fought here on earth. Uh, When he wanted to do the will of the Father, and he was in the garden, Garden of Gethsemane, with his disciples who couldn't keep their eyes open, who were so sleepy. And he was on his knees asking the Father, even though, you know, if, you, if this could go, if I could go without it, but I want to do your will. And so he was just gaining strength by being on his knees. Humble yourself. I want you to leave you with this. I wrote it down this morning. As believers, instead of focus on the turmoil on earth, which is so selfish and greedy and so out of control, we need to stay focused on the will of God. And the will of God is for us to be thankful in every situation. That is the will of God for us. And I know sometimes it's hard. But we can choose to be thankful for something, what God has been doing in his life. To be able to stand firm in our faith and love well. So whatever the world looks like now, you know, if it's on a local view, national view, or a global view, or we look at the history with pandemics and all of that, We as believers have another view, and that is the biblical, prophetic view that God has actually said to us in his word. And so when we believe a higher view, we believing in God, that even though this pandemic was already foretold in the the scriptures, if you uh, read Luke 21, it's all in there. God is with us in this. God is able to get us through. And so don't get too worn down, but lift your hands to the Lord. When I look to those mountains and those hills, where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord who made the heavens and the earth. That shows that we need to keep trusting God in this for your own life, for your family, for our church, for our, our Hamilton, for our nation. Trust God, and he will get us through.